0: Thank you for joining us for our NCA podcast. We're very glad to have you with us today. Our guest is Sister Mary Paul McCaughey from the Archdiocese of Chicago and DePaul University, and originally from the Diocese of Springfield in Illinois. So welcome, Sister. Thank you for joining us. Well, thank you, Kathy. It's wonderful to be here. And we have Sister joining us because Sister has written a book for NCEA. This is just one reason we're having her join us but she has written a book for nca called grace and guts for school leaders practical prayers sister we're so grateful that you wrote this book tell me what you thought when we asked you to write it and then tell me why you said yes.
1: Well, I, I tell you what, Kathy, when you asked me to write a book for principals, because you said there really weren't that many out there, I laughed. And I got thinking, that's true. We have plenty of nice little books for our board meetings or to leave as prayer books uh, for kids as their leading prayers on the PA. And we, we certainly all have our own personal prayers. But in terms of a perspective, that's uniquely a school administrators, I had to say, yeah, I haven't seen any. And I got thinking. There are so many moments that a principal needs God and is God for other people. Um, that's a unique perspective, a unique responsibility. And I just thought, well, maybe in a small way, I can go ahead and contribute to that. So I was grateful. I thought it was a lark. I immediately started to make up lists of things, just words like the hallway, you know, Christmas baskets. <laughs> Uh, the board meeting. Um, So when you asked me, I was fascinated and I thought, you know, there are so many places and spaces and opportunities for principals during the day, the school year calendar, just the rare experiences we have to both um, know God and in a sense, be God for other people. So I just started making a list, uh, the hallway, the cafeteria, uh, the Christmas basket, um, uh, 360 degree evaluations, the board meeting, and just thought, let's see if we can't give this uh, a a unique lens or a unique perspective of a principle of prayer because it takes a lot of courage to be a principal, it takes a, a lot of um, unknown prayer to be a principal. So I thought, you know, thank you, Kathy. What a what a cool idea. So it wasn't anything, anything I ever thought I'd be doing in a million years. Uh, and I thought people are going to laugh when they see this because it's not quite what you'd even imagine for me. Um with a more business like approach to a lot of things but i just remember there's just so much prayer involved in being a principal
0: there is and i and i also think that um when i i read your book i mean you, it, the way you've written it, the stories you tell, bring back so many of my own stories. It's amazing to me how we've had these similar experiences working however many miles apart in different times, but we, we've we had similar experiences. And I really think um, principals will be able to relate to this prayer book for that reason. And um, being a Catholic school principal is probably one of the most unique jobs in the world. And I tell everyone this. I taught first grade and I taught high school and Uh, assistant superintendent superintendent and the hardest job i've ever had in my life is being a catholic school principal you are have to be everything to everyone and it's it's a lot of work you know you're all things to
1: all people in many many ways and when uh i got thinking we've all had the experience of a kid or going missing uh, of the the wrenching experience of a child dying on our watch um the Horrible experiences, really, of 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 having no money and knowing how much <laughs> your things are needed, and and what you need to do, and and how you need to be able to react on a dime um, as a principal, and yet stay grounded. Uh, So, yes, you're right, Kathy, I think it cuts across those huge number of hours that a good principal invests and a Catholic principal, especially who takes things, I think, so seriously around um, being uh, a representative really of something greater than yourself. And I don't think you can do it without a sense of humor and a ton of prayer.
0: I, I would totally agree. I would totally agree. Uh, Sense of humor is necessary. Prayer is a must. So those two things will carry you a long way, Um, probably in any work, but especially in um, being a Catholic school principal. So you divided the book into, I think, seven sections. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Yes, seven. My memory didn't didn't let me down. And the first one is of worry. And I, I just have to know, because being of the Irish persuasion myself, is of worry first because you're Irish or is there another reason? Oh, that's No, I think the Irish just worry. When you think
1: you can't do anything, you do something, you worry. Uh, I think, you know, that's right. Yeah. It's close to the little pillow that I have my bed. If you want to feel guilty, call your mother. Um, I I think there is a tremendous responsibility that administrators take on. And, um, My hope in those prayers was trying to turn worry over to God and uh, over to action, um, over to grace. And I found that was always for me um, what my challenge was. So I started with a worry uh, simply because all of us as administrators have woken up in the middle of the night going, oh, geez Louise, you know, what about this? What about that? Should have handled that better um, I think there's a blatant honesty about caring so much about our kids and our schools, our teachers, our parents um, that, you know, like good moms, you kind of worry sometimes. Good dads, you kind of worry sometimes. But how are you going to bring that worry to a new level of prayer and action becomes the becomes the challenge.
0: And, and I will say that is something that's repeated throughout the book. I. Uh, reading the prayers, I notice how frequently you say, "Let, let me put the children first, let their needs be all that matter to me. And I think everybody wants to do that, but we stray from it for a lot of different reasons. But these prayers remind us constantly, no matter what category they fall in, to put students first.
1: Yeah, you know, and I think it takes us a long time in a maturity in administration. We all give that lip service, don't we? And you know, when it's written on mugs and cups and uh, you know, the kids are first and it's a political rally and cry. But the truth of the matter is putting kids first me it takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of expertise and it takes a lot of reordering of our own pride, um, and really a, a, lot, a great deal of risk. Uh, to take it seriously, um, and frankly, you know, there are times when we're tired or unsure, or you know, even wondering about our own talent. Um, that I think we we can go away from that. Uh, so something uh, if our own pride and our own fatigue get in the way, I think it's a great reminder to, that that's who. That's who Jesus would put first, you know, the face of the child, the reason for the existence of our Catholic schools is to love those children. And um, that becomes the heart of all of the ministry that I think binds the schools together. It's what binds the parents and the alumni and the teachers, the staff um, and at heart of hearts despite all of our ups and downs that is the the primary and blatant and scary uh commitment um is to the primacy of the child um as jesus among us
0: yeah, absolutely so i like that the first prayer my teeth hurt just made me laugh out loud <laughs> I have to tell you, um, the, the, and within the last seven days, I had to go to the dentist and discovered that um, not only had I cracked one crown, but two, both in the back and probably from grinding my teeth at night. I've never had this problem before, so, but, um, so the prayer really speaks to me now. For for a lot of lot of reasons, but um, I like I wanted to ask you where did you get your reflections? How did you find them? Um, I didn't know Walter Farrell. Op looked him up so I could find out who Walter is. And um, I wondered, did you know all these? Had these um, inspired you um, throughout your your life, or were these new people that you kind of looked up for this book?
1: Um, in truth, it's a combination of both. Some of the quotes I've loved forever, like the Merton quote, um, you know, from the time I was a teenager. Um, but others were very much like a, the one from Mary, chapter two, verse two, was actually, you know, the Gospel of Mary. And I had just mm-hmm. read a book uh, about that that was kind of, you know, a little bit rad, you know. <laughs> so I like, uh, but it was a great line. So they're from all different um all different temperaments, all different type of authors. And I just, I just put them on there if I thought it was going to tie some of the things together um, in, in some work better than others in, in all, in all frankness. But um, for me, it was, it was fun to go looking for poor things as well as draw them from things we thought, oh I read that. I wonder if I can go find that again and use it. So it was a combo cap. That's a great question.
0: Yeah, I, I I liked him. I mean, like I said, you taught me. I looked up some people I didn't know about, so it was great. And and the the variety of people, you know, you have um, Diane Carroll, you have um, Merton, you have the Bible. So it, it's a lot of different um, sources that you that you get the reflections, and I I really appreciate it. Well, them. that's
1: true. And who's what's not to like about Tayard or my favorite Bridget of Kildare? You know, she wants a a, a lake of ale. You know, a lake of beer. Uh, for the King of Kings, and I got laughing. So, so, I think for me, some of them are so deadly serious that I, I think, just like with the the quotes chosen, um, we can't always take ourselves seriously. We've got to let God do that for us. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah. So one of the things you have prayers about is something that was really difficult for me, um, still difficult for me, still part of my job, but it, it's hiring and making sure you get the right person, letting people go and evaluation. All those things are difficult for teachers. Um, and I. so I was so glad that they're included in here because I, I think they're really important. Are those th- duties that have been difficult for you during your oh. lifetime?
1: Oh, absolutely. I think, you know, as a young administrator, you certainly sometimes doubt yourself against um, uh, who are supposedly expert teachers. And I think in, uh, as you grow in that wisdom, you see, oh, this is not really good teaching, but how am I going to go ahead and first try to coach it? Uh, always confront it, then co- you know coach it, and and then really when that coaching has not been effective or you've not been able to do the change to make the tough decisions that's going to benefit kids and um and how to do it in a way that's deeply respectful of the individual that is not a good fit for your school, but on the other hand, knowing again you've got to put the kids first maybe sometimes even doubting your own judgment, but there's enough out there about good teaching praxis and our own gut really as as administrators that we know whether or not this is uh, a, a teacher is a, is a good fit uh, for our schools. And you're right, I think it's one of the hardest things in the whole world. And I remember merging a couple of schools and not having to be able to keep everyone. That was a good experience for me as a young principal, a hideous experience, I shouldn't say that, but in terms of good, it at least let me know that some of this is really not personal um, it, we're really trying to make the best professional uh, judgment we can on the basis of what's good for kids. So yeah, I think you're right, Kathy. I think that's a huge struggle for us and a great worry as to whether or not we're going to find equally or more talented people um, to be able to, to teach our kids.
0: Right, and that's important. So, Sister, I have a a different weird kind of question that goes along with this, but I've always wondered, why do you think it's easy for us to provide feedback to kids, sometimes brutal feedback to children who are defenseless, have no power against us, and yet adults, we we struggle so much. So why is it easier to tell a kid you're not doing a good job than it is to tell a teacher? I
1: think there are probably many reasons, uh, depending on maybe the stage of your life and where you are and who the person is. I think... For many of us, we've we've experienced that kind of conflict ourselves as teachers, and knew that it left us um, maybe a tiny bit bruised. And so, you want to be very respectful in how you do it. I think there are many of us who fear uh, that kind of direct conflict um, in uh, in a in really helping people meet um, very professional expectations. So, and, and I think there's a, a, a fear of flashback um, that, that sometimes they have. Um, I think it takes a great deal of centeredness. Um, you have to kind of strip away some of your truly, deep, you have to keep caring about the person always, but you have to kind of strip away some of your own um, self to be able to make yourself vulnerable, to be able to be honest with, uh, with, a, with another adult. To say, look, this isn't working. I need to work with you. Let's work together. And if we can't, then you're not the right fit. You know, here's what I want to see. And I think for years, maybe we weren't, um, you know, maybe solid about what we wanted to see. But there's so much. There's so much more research now. Um, about what good teaching looks like and uh, it isn't just our gut we there's there's solid evidence and I think that's what we have to kind of go back to and um, as I say don't leave your own gut out Uh, but I think there's so much there that we need to act on now and if we don't it's an injustice
0: yeah I I think you're probably I'm very very correct on that um, so sister, there is the prayer that you've referenced already, um, AWOL, where, where someone's missing. And um, it, it almost makes me cry when I read it, because I think that um, it goes to a place that you not, you know, it it's easy to joke about that in a way, as long as everything turns out okay. But, um, you know, the, the you re, I'm going to quote it. It says, funny Lord, that I often did not really see them when they were there. Maybe that is the next thing to worry about and act on. When you bring them home to us, and um, I th- I worry about those children that people we don't see them as we should or as much as we should. It's not that we don't care about them, but they're, they're maybe easier kids. They don't demand a lot of attention from us, and and we can miss them almost. And um, so when you when I read that, the next thing is to worry about and act on. That I don't miss them. I it really got to me. So, do you have an experience like that? What made you write that? Because it that's something that really spoke to me.
1: I will tell you, Kathy. I think that was just a, just a a realization that every child is precious. I think in my years as a superintendent, when I would go to a school and you were able to see a principal stand out uh, on the steps, know everybody's name, uh, when it was a high school, and even if they couldn't remember their name, they were walking down the hallway and looking at each each student in the eye. I just think we miss opportunities like that all all too often. And to your point, sometimes it's a true good kid, you know, remember the old average kid, you know, um, that just gets missed. And um, I actually came at that from the experience of somebody in my family who was a wonderful, wonderful, holy, dear, precious person, who never felt like um, they were recognized or that their name was learned. And um, I think there are, I would hate to see any kids leave our Catholic schools without being personally deeply affirmed for who they are as beloved. And when there's so many of them, especially if you, I was a principal of a large high school for many years, um, it's, it's all too easy to just consider it the herd or the class or, you know, this retreat cadre or whatever it might've been, as opposed to that constant recognition into the eyeball of each particular student. It's much easier for teachers to do than principals because of the wonderful regularity with which they get to do, um, to meet and to get to know young people. But I think it's a mandate of, of principals too. Um, and it isn't just to get to know them on PowerSchool, it's to get to uh, love them as persons.
0: Right, you have to know who their name, they, they, need, they respond to your name. And I'm not great with names, but I remember I could, um, I would call a kid by a name I knew was incorrect, just so that they would say me, that's not my name, and then get all outrageous, and it would be great. It turned into a moment for us, and then that would help me to remember their name the next time. Because that's
1: true. And with school uniforms, you couldn't say, "Hey, you
0: in the blue sweater," you know. So, was... <laughs> so I would just call them George or something, and they would say, "That's not my name," and but it worked. Um, People kept and... saying to me years later, they kept saying, "I don't know." You had a lot of sweeties and a lot of dears. <laughs> Yes that's it. So you, you know, the wrong name thinking, oh my gosh,
1: I'm not I'm hope I'm not going to be up for sexual harassment charges next day, you know, but it
0: was that kind of thing where you
1: just you 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 needed uh-huh. to say a, a kind word, you know, and I think that's what's important. We don't know which kind of remember that old song about you can kill with a knife or a gun, but you can kill kill with a glance, yeah. and I think our glances as principals and not just to get everybody's attention in an auditorium, but really uh, the individual glance of care um, is incredibly important in our schools.
0: It really is. So um, I'm gonna get to the last prayer on Zoom, but I have one more prayer I wanted to ask you about before we move there, Um, the one on silence. And um, when I was a, a, a young teacher, my first year in the Diocese of Joliet, a shout out to the Diocese of Joliet, but they, um, I went in, I was told that the kids would not talk on Good Friday. And I was like, what? My first graders aren't going to talk the whole time on First Friday. And I mean, it was a half day and all that. But I thought, there is no way. This, they were that talking. They just all talked a lot. They like to. And they did. And during Holy Week, there is a reverence in Catholic schools that I think you have to be a part of it to believe it. Uh, But it is there, and you write about that in in one of the prayers. And um, I love your reflection, because um, St. Teresa of Calcutta says, we need silence in order to touch souls. And I think as teachers, principals, educators, we sometimes forget that. I agree.
1: Um, The pauses in between create the power of the words. Um, And I think there's a, a wonderful lesson in that um i remember um and i went to school in chicago and holy week was a big deal Mm -hmm. um and you were speechless before the the stations of the cross and time to marigold on holy thursday was a big deal and so as a grade schooler i came with that perspective when i was superintendent of schools i visited a school um in pilsen little village and um the the second graders were completely silent because it was their retreat for their uh, First Communion. And they were walking along with um, their hands folded and really being silent. And the eighth graders were partnering with them and were totally silent in the hallway. And they said, we're doing this as an act of love for our second graders. That and i right? got thinking, oh my goodness, you know, um, what that spoke to uh, in terms of deep collegiality from a place that was always bursting with, bursting with fun, um, they were able to turn on a dime. And I, I think whether it's a little kid singing to God, swinging on a swing and being present, um, we need to be attuned to those moments and that rhythm of silence. Um, and I say that as a busy bee uh as much more of a Martha than a Mary. Um how those those moments of silence wedged in there, whether you were staring out onto a part a dead parking lot or whether you were sitting with somebody wordlessly, um, silence became the word. And we let the word be us in those in those moments of silence. So it's interesting you caught that, Kathy. Thanks.
0: Oh, Yo, you are welcome. Um, I I could talk about this book for a long time, but we have thirty minutes, so I'm trying to stay within that. Um, so the last <laughs> your last prayer is a nod to Zoom and COVID nineteen, and I think I I think what I like best about this one is that you ask God to fill the Zoom, to um to allow us to communicate well on Zoom so that people know that we care about them. And that we're not just um, a face on a screen, but a real person and to acknowledge that. And I think that prayer is beautiful. Um, Zoom has changed us. And I don't think it's all bad. What do you think?
1: Oh, honestly, I think um, it's probably going to be with us for a long time. Uh, It's much more effective for me than spending two hours in travel to to get to DePaul. And I think that's true for some of our our kids. I think we're going to see a lot more hybrids. some really deep in-person, great partying, great conversations. Please, God, let that happen soon. Um, But I also think we're going to maintain some of this Uh, personal contact that we've been able to still create according to the screen. And, you know, the Mm -hmm. Zoom screens can be very egalitarian. You know, you can set it up so your speakers got the floor when they've got the floor or everybody's just in their own little box. And um, I think we I don't think it's been all bad. I think maybe if we've been critically good at it uh, from time to time, we maybe are communicating more carefully than we were before. Uh, And certainly more frequently because we do want to stay in touch. So, yeah, I think for me, um, I think I'm gonna be seeking out a lot of hybrid opportunities where you can bring the best of both um, and respect people's time and yet, still, really dig into the the issues that are facing people, um, very personally, um, even across Zoom. I mean, I've had some pretty sobbing, sobbing conversations <laughs> on Zoom, and uh, some of the most honest things I've heard too. The missing part is not being able to hold the hand. Um, the missing part is not being able to be physically present. But there has been, I think, some very deep and powerful sharing. So, yeah.
0: And I I mean, I've hired people over Zoom and um, it's a different medium. Um, As you know, sister, my father passed away during this COVID crisis and um, grieving over Zoom is difficult, but possible. And grieving is always difficult. So I can't say it's more difficult, Um, but so it can be done. So um, and again, I think. Whenever I want, and I complain about Zoom a lot because I get tired of looking at myself. But um, I think the real deal is I, I'm so grateful that I can see people and not just have to hear their voice.
1: You know, I think you're right, Kathy. And again, my prayers on the loss of your dad, who was so amazing. Um, so much spirit. Um and for, but I think what Zoom does, what what you did and what people have done is you reach out in very many networks. Um I think it takes our grief and maybe spreads it over a longer period of time to
0: deal. Yeah. Um, does that make sense?
1: It, it does, and
0: I, I think that you're probably right. So, um, sister- It isn't mean, just
1: the searing uh, funeral service, but this is the opportunity to reconnect with people who love you.
0: It is, it is. So sister, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for writing the book. I really appreciate it. Um, I have one thing to share with you just because I know that you're a White Sox fan, but for all those out there in podcast land, I'm sorry you can't see this. But sister, look, we have a brick that going is going to Wrigley Field. And oh so- my gosh! It says, "Oh my goodness!" Yeah, so all your true. little names with, you,
1: and then go Cubs. That's, That's right.
0: okay. It's
1: okay. My mom, who's 98, is a Cubs fan, and uh, I'm so I'm Cubs
0: tolerant. Kathy, I know that, that you told yeah. me, that, but I just wanted to let you know that. I'm sorry. And someday, maybe when we get back to Chicago and can travel, we, you and I will meet in person again. So, but thank you very, very much. And thank you to all of our listeners. We appreciate you joining us for our podcast with Sister Mary Paul McCaughey. And please um, think about buying her book. It is a great book. It's a great one for principals, principals. You need it. It's called Grace and Guts for School Leaders, Practical Prayers. So thank, thank you so much, Kathy. Thank you for your grace and guts. Well, thank you. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you all. Have a great day.